Galatians chapter 4, Lord willing, tonight we're just going to cover a couple of verses uh, regarding Christmas. And you know, when you look at the Christmas story, it's kind of like a lot of different things. There's different views, right? And I think probably the, the and, and maybe in one sense, the most accurate view is just opening up the Gospels in Matthew chapter 1, especially in Luke chapter 2. And you get the, the view of the Christmas story and how it all went down. But I think there are also other views to look at. There are many that you can turn to in the scriptures. And so today I really sense the Lord leading me here in Galatians uh, 4, uh, 4 through 5, as we look at what Paul said as he wrote to the Galatians. And we're going to kind of, as we go through it, we'll explain the context. But I think it's kind of good that we get to celebrate Christmas uh, every year. It's something that we do in one sense every day. But here's the thing. We have a tendency, whenever we're Christians, is to we have a tendency to enter into a works relationship with God. We just have that tendency. You know, um, before we were Christians, maybe we were religious. You know, before I was a Christian, I was raised a Catholic. And you kind of have that you know, you like the stained glass windows, you like the, the holy water, you like the incense, you like the rules and regulations. And anyways, when I got saved, it was just amazing, amazing, the freedom, the love, the life that happened overnight, the change, the way that like overnight, I understood that I was loved by God. I was accepted by God. It was just such a radical concept in my mind, you know. And so I'll never forget that season of life. But, but then what can happen? It doesn't happen to everybody. But there is an inclination then to say, okay, well, I'm going to learn everything I have to do now. You know, I'm going to learn all these things. And, and you, know, you do, and you're supposed to. There is a place for the law. There is a place for the commandments, you know. It's interesting. A lot of times people will tell you, well, the Old Testament, they took the Ten Commandments and they made 612 commandments. And that's rather weird, right? But did you know there are 800 commandments in the New Testament? And so, you know, it's good to, to know all those things. But, but here's the thing is what can happen a lot of times is you move from a love relationship into a legal relationship. And that right there can create a lot of problems, and that can sap you of a lot of joy, and that can ruin you of the power that God wants you to have. And so Galatians is a great book because that's what was happening. God had done such a great book, uh, great work uh, in the area of the Galatians, but they started going back to legalism. They started going back to the law. And Paul here, he writes this letter in order to bring them back into a love relationship with God. And so let me ask you a question today. As we start today, how are you doing in your relationship with God? Do you feel like he's kind of like holding back on his love for you because you're not really, you know, dotting every I and crossing every T? Do you think that he loves so-and-so more than he loves you? Do you consider yourself like a second-class citizen as a saint, as, as a Christian? Do you, do, you, do you have joy? Do you, do you feel like you lack power? It, it, you know, when you, when you start looking at those things, I think that a lot of times 
uh, we, we find ourselves in a place that we shouldn't be, not because we're not performing, but it's, a lot of times it's because we're not believing. We're not receiving. And so let's see what we read right here in Galatians chapter 4. As a matter of fact, we just pick it up in verse 1. Paul says, Now I say that the, the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Now, I was reading a commentary on Galatians by Martin Luther, and it was kind of cool. Some of you, have you heard of Martin Luther? You guys know who he is? He was the guy that spearheaded the Protestant Reformation, and there's no doubt in my mind this guy was brilliant. But what he was able to do was take things and simplify it, simplify it in a radical way. And so he's sharing the, the theology, and then he says right here, he says, and now what, what Paul wants to do is just make a real, very simple illustration. Let's just say you have a household, and you've got a kid who is the heir of all. He is the heir of all. He's going to, you know, one day as he gets older, he's going to inherit everything, right? But, but right now, he's just a kid. And so you've got other people in the house, and they're servants. They're not heirs, but they're servants. He says as they're going through their day-to-day -day processes, that one who eventually will inherit everything, he's not really experiencing a whole lot different than the slave in the house, right? And so he gives a simple illustration that, that all of us would understand. I remember the gal who uh, now owns In-N-Out. She didn't always own In-N-Out. There was a time when she was just a kid um, playing kickball. I don't know if they play kickball nowadays, soccer. Do you guys remember kickball? That was probably before your time. And, and anyways, you know, she was just a kid, but, but eventually she would inherit in and out you know? And so what Paul is saying right here is that, that that's what was going on that, for, for Christianity in one sense for Christians. But again in verse 2 is under guardians and stewards and tutors and until the time appointed by the Father. And so he says even so we when we were children were in bondage under the elements of the world. And that right there, when he talks about the elements of the, the world, he's speaking of the law. He's speaking of religion. He's speaking of the things that, that men impose on others. And we're going to see it has its place, but, but we were there in, in bondage at one time. But here it is, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so today, it's going to be a little different. Sunday, if you're here, Lord willing, we're going to go over the story, and it's going to be really cool just to look at the story. But today, it's a little bit more, uh, I guess you could say, theology. You guys okay with that? You guys like theology? I hope you do, man. Because um, what we find is that, you know, when you look at Christmas, what, what is it? If someone were to ask you, well, what is it? And let's just say someone that was completely foreign to what Christmas is all about. 
You, you know, they said, okay, you got two verses in the Bible. What, what, what is it? This right here is actually a great passage to turn to. That when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And so in this passage right here, we're going to see six Christmas truths to glean. And they answer four questions. When, what, how, and why. When, when the fullness of the time had come, what happened? Well, God sent forth his son. Well, how did he do it? Uh, born of a woman and born under the law. Why did he do it? Why would he do that? And the answer is to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so let's look at this together. When uh, did it happen? Question number one, uh, and probably not December 25th. Um, we're not sure the day, but that's the day we celebrate. Uh, when it says in verse four, notice, but, but when the fullness of the time had come. Uh, other translations say when the time came to completion, when the set time had fully come or arrived, the appropriate time, the, the right time. Just like you see, it's interesting, I know it's a little different, but just like you see a gal and she's pregnant and there's a due date, there's a time ordained by God. You know, right? when it comes to this, there was definitely a day predetermined for the special delivery of the Christ. You know, I can't help but think of the passage in Daniel chapter 9 in verse 24 where the Bible says 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. And so God sent it forth in Daniel chapter 9. He says when it comes to the history of Israel, you know, in reference to the Messiah, there's 77 year periods. There's 490 years. I mean, there is a time frame for this whole thing, right? And there you read the prophecy uh, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins. Think about that. To make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. I mean, there is a, there is a time frame. They're determined. The days are determined by God. You know, just as there are a certain number of seconds in every minute, hours in every day, days in every year, the days are numbered, time is limited, and will one day be completed. It's all on God's calendar. And one of those days was the due date determined by the Father for the Christ to be conceived and born. And we read in Luke chapter 6, it says, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And, and, you know, Paul here says it, it was just the fullness of the times. That Greek word, it literally means the sum total and refers to the appointed time of the Father, where in, we don't know all the details as far as why. You can read commentaries and they talk about it. We don't know why that that's the day, but, uh, but we know that's the day that the Father determined. And we can speculate um, uh, for many reasons. Uh, some theologians will tell you that the reason why it was the right time is because of the Jewish diaspora. And that means that the Jews were scattered everywhere. And wherever they went, 
you know, they would go with the hopes of the Messiah. Wherever the Jews would go in the different cities all around the world, if there were 10 Jews, they would then establish a synagogue. And in the synagogue, this is what they would say, the Messiah is coming. And the Gentiles would come in. They eventually be called God-fearers. And then they would hear the message, the Messiah was coming, the Messiah is coming. The Samaritans heard, people heard. And so, you know, the Jews had been scattered and everywhere they went, they went with the message of the Old Testament. They went with the message that the Messiah was coming. That's probably one of the reasons why it was a good time. Uh, another reason people say is because of the Greeks and the influence of the Greeks. Remember, there was a time under Alexander the Great where they conquered the world. And then what ended up happening, for the most part, is the world had a universal language. They spoke this language called Koine Greek. And not only is it a, a, a good language for people to write in because you're specific, but now uh, what we find is that the whole world was able to speak this language. And so um, people will reference the influence of the Greeks, not only in their language, but also in their philosophy. And so the Greeks had given to the world the greatest philosophies. You know, this is the, the reason you were born. This is the reason for life. This is, you know, all those uh, deep questions. But it left them empty. It left them empty. And just as a quick side note, I was thinking today how a lot of people don't go to church like they used to. And you know what? They're out there. They're trying all the other stuff. They're going to the mall and they're eating out or they're shopping or they're just watching television. Eventually, the day's going to come where they're going to feel empty. It's like, hey, I, I think I need to get back into Bible study. I, I want to get back into the Word. Because you can try all the things the world has to offer, but if you're a Christian, it leaves you empty. And, and it was a good time. It was the fullness of time. We don't know for sure all the details, but definitely the Jewish diaspora, the Greek language, the, the Greek uh, philosophy that left people bankrupt. Even the Jewish religion, it left them bankrupt. And then uh, other people will also reference the influence of the Romans. And we know that the Romans, what they did is they conquered the world and they gave the world what was called Pax Romana. And that means that you can go anywhere and it wouldn't be like hostile territory. And uh, they, you know, as a result of that, they had all these Roman roads. Have you guys ever heard that saying, every road leads to Rome? And so it's just, you know, it was the fullness of the times so that Jesus would be born, the gospel would go out, hearts would be ready, and God was doing a work, you know? I mean, the gospels would go out in the fullness of time. You know, we read it, for example, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, Jesus' words, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, even Jesus said the time is, is fulfilled, right? It's the right time circled on God's calendar, the day that his son would be sent, the day the gospel would go out. And, and really, when you look at it, even the day everything will be completed is mentioned in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, there it is again, 
he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And so, you know, you, you look at that and, and you realize, man, God has, like, I don't know about you. How many of you guys here, I'm just curious, how many of you guys here have a yearly calendar? Do you guys get one at, at the end of the year? Now we're getting ready for 2020, right? I got mine already. Aren't you proud of me? Last year was one of the first years that I had a calendar going into the year. And I'll tell you what, it helped me a lot. Okay, so I got my calendar and I got different days marked down and it, it, it's a blessing. You know, God has a calendar. The days are running out. The days are limited. The fullness of the time for him to be born. The, the, the time is fulfilled for the gospel to go out. In the dispensation of the fullness of the times, God's going to gather everything together. One day it'll be done. Now, we don't know the days. And that's why Jesus told his apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. And so we don't know the details and the dates that the Father has, but we do know the Father. And that's all that, that matters. It is important, however, for us to know that there is this fullness of the time. And so when you're, when you're thinking of Christmas, what's Christmas? What's Christmas? Well, Galatians 4, it says, when the, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. See, now we're talking about Christmas. You know, the Greek word translated sent, it speaks of sending someone as an authoritative representative with a specific task. You know, the, the Greek word, it means to send forth or to send out on a mission. And clearly this was the case with Christ. Uh, he was one who was sent by the Father. He did not come of his own volition. You know, it's interesting when you read the, the prophets, especially Jeremiah, you'll find that he talks a lot about these guys that go out. They're not sent by God. They weren't sent, but Jesus clearly was sent. Here, in John chapter 6, verse 38, he said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In, in John 8, 42, he said something similar. He was telling the religious leaders, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. I mean, specifically sent out with authority, with that representation uh, for a mission. Have you guys ever been sent by someone? You know, as a delegate? You know, Jesus came with a mission. He was sent forth. Ex apostello is the Greek word. It's an intensified form of the word apostle. And so Jesus here was sent. We see it in John 10, 36. You see it in John 20, 21. He talks a lot about it in the Gospel of John. And what we find in, it's kind of interesting, in a season where so many things are delivered, so many uh, things are sent, this goes well with Christmas. How many of you guys here uh, sent out Christmas cards? I'm just curious. Now, some of you here are thinking, oh, Manny, that's old-fashioned. Well, I want to tell you that it's not. As a matter of fact, I thought it was interesting. I was reading an article on this, and you guys know what snail mail is, right? That's not email, it's snail mail, the things that you get in your mailbox, right? They say that that's actually down 43%, which is, 
which is probably a good thing. I think we're trying to save paper, huh? Is that, or save the trees, right? That's what it's all about. But Christmas cards are not down the way that snail mail is down. As a matter of fact, I thought it was interesting. They were saying that the millennials, which is a younger generation, they're actually doing more Google searches and they're doing more sending out of the Christmas cards. And primarily what they're doing is they're taking you know, the family photos and they're sending it out. And so I thought that was cool. I wanted to encourage my wife because she sends out Christmas cards every year and she always tells me, you know, I don't get it. I send out Christmas cards and they don't send them back to me. <laughs> and I said, well, first of all, sweetheart, I know she's just got tongue in cheek. I'm all, you know, that's not why we send them out, but, but it's okay, babe, because we're hip. That's what I was telling her, we're hip. Because <laughs> they're thinking it's old fashioned and in all reality, it's not. And so, you know, Christmas cards are, are sent. Gifts are sent. Jesus was sent. It's such a beautiful thing, right? You know, one of my favorite passages for this time of year regarding this whole concept of being sent is in 1 John chapter 4. And I was wondering if you would turn there. 1 John chapter 4, look what it says in verse 9. Man, this is so cool. It says, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Isn't that cool? You know, he, not that we love God, but he loved us. He busted the move. He sent his son, right? We see the same, something similar in verse 14. It says, And we have seen, John says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. And so we'll come back to what the propitiation means and, and, and you know, as far as the, why he was sent. But right now, just kind of a, establishing that beautiful truth that God was motivated by love when he sent his son uh, on that Christmas day. When the, when the fullness of time had come, that's the when. What happened? God sent forth his son. And then back in Galatians, we asked the question, well, how was he sent? And it says here that he was sent forth, born of a woman and born under the law. And so, I don't know, like, you know, I was imagining how Christ could have been sent into the world, you know, with a glorious entrance, you know, and you would figure that that's how it would happen after all. It was God who sent forth his son you know, and in my mind, the limited mind that I have, I was thinking at least it could be something like Prince Ali's entrance before Jasmine in the Disney movie Aladdin. Have you guys seen that? And he tried to impress her, and I was actually going to share with you the lyrics, maybe even sing, but I couldn't. Uh, I actually printed it, I left it at home, so thank God it, that didn't happen. But do you guys know what I'm talking about? That entrance it was just so spectacular, right? Because he wanted to impress her. And you would figure it would be, at least be something like that, right? This is how, you know, he came. Uh, in the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, and it was just this amazing entrance. But, 
But it says right here, that's not how it happened, that he was born of a woman. Now, Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, teaches us that he came in the likeness of men, but he didn't come as a man. He didn't come as a full-grown man. He was supernaturally conceived within the womb of Mary. God the Son, he took on human flesh. The Word became flesh, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14. And then he dwelt among us. And we know that when you consider, you know, God becoming a man, uh, God becoming, you know, the size of a grain of rice within the womb of Mary, it's a great mystery, the Bible says, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he didn't arrive as a man, he was a baby. He wasn't a phantom, he was flesh. He was divine and he was also human. Theologians call him the theanthropic being, or they call it the hypostatic union, 100% God and 100% man. And there are a lot of questions that go with that. You know, you wonder, like when he was born, when he was conceived within the womb, when he was a toddler, you know, did he know he was a savior? You know, you wonder, when God became human flesh, I mean, did he, I mean, how, how was it that he, you mean to tell me he had to learn, you know, to be, walk and talk, he was potty trained, he had pimples, I mean, all the kind of stuff that, that goes with the whole thing. He was born without a sin nature, but other than that, he was completely human. You know, and for us who now we know a little bit about astronomy and we know the the size and the vastness of the galaxies and the hundreds and billions of galaxies and stars and how insignificant this little planet called earth is this little speck in space and to think that the creator and the maintainer and the sustainer of everything would come that distance you know to us to a hostile territory to people who were his enemy to those who would eventually crucify him. I mean, just the, the love, the depth of his love. But this is what we see. Well, what's Christmas all about? What is that? Well, in the fullness of time, you know, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It's an amazing thing. You know, what we find, uh, Paul doesn't say that Jesus was born of a man and woman. He actually says that he was born of a woman, alluding to the virgin birth, right? Something prophesied. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says that the Messiah would be born of the seed of a woman, but she doesn't have a seed. And so there is an allusion there. It was uh, implicit least spoken in Genesis 3.15 and then explicitly spoken in Isaiah 7.14 that that would be the sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? And so when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and the second how is born under the law. And, you know, it's important for us to know that Jesus was born not only a man under the moral law, but he was born a Jew under the Mosaic law. And it's important, like, when you start looking at Christmas, you're like, well, I don't know if that's significant. Well, when you start getting into, like, the, the details of it, it is. Because you go back to the Mosaic law and the standards of it and the sacrifices of it and the blood and the death and the cutting and the killing and the horror of it. 
And you realize, well, he came, even though he should have been above the law because he's the Lord of the law, he came and he was born, yielded himself submissively to be born under the law, right? And from the very beginning, his parents observed the law. They offered the proper sacrifices when he was eight days old, according to the scriptures, Luke points out. In Luke 2, 21 through 27, when Joseph and Mary circumcised Jesus and they named him, they offered two turtle doves on his behalf in obedience to Exodus 13, 2 and Leviticus 12, verse 8. I mean, they were just doing everything that the law had told them. He was born under the law. Why was he born under the law? Ultimately, he was born under the law in order to fulfill the law. And we're going to see eventually to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And when you look at the Old Testament, you guys, and you look at all those laws no one could keep it. No one could keep it. No human being could keep it. No one could. It was really ultimately there to tell you, you can't do it. Now, the law has its place. I mean, it's still probably a, a good thing to have in order to have like the, you know, a good uh, community. And there are you know, goals that we have. But once you start bringing in the law regarding our relationship with God, and once you start talking about the law, you know, and regarding that justification, now Paul, he's, he gets real, real upset about stuff like that. No, you don't come near that with the 10-foot pole. The Lord was born of a woman. He was born under the law in order to fulfill the law. And he was able to do that, right? It demanded perfection. The law was just and holy. It was bloody. And although the new covenant ministry of Christ was not as lawgiver, he was the law taker. And he joined us right there underneath the law. And I know this is probably a random illustration, but I don't know. I just, I don't know why I thought about this. I thought about being under the law. I pictured myself like under a bridge. I see the people who are homeless, and it almost seems like they're hopeless. And my heart just goes out to them, and they live there under the bridge. And it's almost like, you know, in one sense, and I know I'm going to the extreme here, but it feels like there, there's no hope for them. And I almost feel like Jesus came and he lived to live under the bridge with us. That's what he did. You know, I mean, when you look at this, under the, under the law, you know, I, when I was reading for today, I, I, I was blessed by a commentary by Martin Luther. And I wish I could just, I should have just read you the commentary now, because it's a great word on this text. But I'm going to read to you a little bit right here about this section. Martin Luther said, when Christ came, he found us all in prison. What did he do about it? Although he was the Lord of the law, he voluntarily placed himself under the law and permitted it to exercise dominion over him, indeed to accuse and to condemn him. The law treated this innocent, just, and blessed Lamb of God as cruelly as it treated us. It accused him of blasphemy and treason. It made him guilty of the sins of the whole world. 
It overwhelmed him with such anguish of soul that his sweat was as blood. The law condemned him to the shameful death on the cross. And that right there, when you look at it, uh, Christmas, what is that? That's the extent of God's love. It's here we move from when and what and how to why. Why was he sent? And we read it here in our text, again in verse 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. I mean, we didn't just live under a bridge. We were, we were crushed by this bridge. We were under this law, and there was no way out. To redeem, it means to buy out of the marketplace. It especially applies to the purchase of a, of a slave with a view to his freedom. And that's where we were. We were slaves. And so the Lord came. And look at chapter 3 of Galatians in verse 13. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, curse it is everyone who hangs on a tree. You know, it, it, that's why he came, ultimately, the tree. Ultimately, from the cradle to the cross. He was born to die. Now, you'll hear, and I've shared with you a couple of times, and you will hear people say that Jesus came, you know, to show us the way. You know, he came to be a... a uh, a prophet, a miracle worker, a teacher. And that, that is part of it. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot smaller, though, than, you know, Redeemer. Ultimately, that's why he came. He didn't come just to show us the way. He came to, to make a way, to be the way. And that's what Paul is saying right here, Right? To redeem. It's beyond the prophet, teacher, or miracle worker. It's the, it's the redeemer. It's about Jesus born to die. And, and so if you ever wonder, because I know we go through things. Does God really love me? I mean, look at what happened to me when I was little or with my kids. or just We have a lot of different you know, tragedies of life. This right here, though, Romans 5, 8 says, this right here demonstrates his love for you. This is what Christmas is all about. And that's why it's kind of cool, you guys. This time of year, we get to hear a few extra studies on this. You know, we all need to be reminded of this. You know, I know that um, when you look at the law and the legalism of it, you know, the Lord brings us back and says, no, it's not a legal relationship. It's a love relationship. I was born to die. Remember that story? I think I've told you guys about it before, how... Uh, I don't know if you guys knew this or not. In Japan, they celebrate Christmas. They actually do. Uh, not, not, you know, really religious. I mean, I think there's like a small percentage, maybe 2%, you know, that claim to be Christians. But, you know, they do have a big thing, a uh, big Christmas. They do exchange gifts. They have these, uh, I, I should have printed out the article I was reading about the, the food, the different cakes they eat, the different songs they sing. They have it all. And so one day a reporter went to a gal in Japan and asked her, said, what is Christmas all about? 
What is Christmas all about? And she didn't know. And you know what she said? She said, wasn't that the day Jesus died? <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Because he couldn't die unless he became human. And that's why. So, so you're looking at this. He, he came to redeem us from that place. You know, born to die, sent to redeem us, who at one time were under the law. And that's one of Galatians' primary points. Look at chapter 4 and verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? I want to grow as a Christian. I know how to do it. I know how to grow. Start obeying a whole bunch of rules and regulations. Is that how you're going to grow? Behaving? No. Believing. Believing in his love for you that never changes. Believing in the righteousness of God that's been imputed to your account. You know, James, it says, you know, in chapter 5, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, but it's the effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man that avails much. Well, we look at that verse and we're thinking, well, righteous man, that's got to be the guy who, you know, has got it all together. No way. It's the guy who's been, you know, he understands the righteousness of Christ imputed to his account. We've been redeemed from the law. It's here where I think this Christmas we, we kind of need to revisit it over and over again. You know, the first time you opened the Christmas gift, it must have been beautiful. You know, the first time that I understood Christmas as a Christian, it was amazing to me. But now, you know, 30 years later, do I, do I remember the significance of it that I've been redeemed from the law or do I want to go back to the law, go back to religion? Go back to rules and regulations. Go back to a performance-oriented Christianity. And Galatians is, is Paul saying, don't do that. Don't. You know, what we find is we can very easily and inadvertently, mistakenly revert back to the life of law and rules rather than relationship. Remember, Christmas, it literally means the celebration of Christ. And the heart of that celebration is the liberation from the law, the celebration of redemption. And that's why a lot of kids, they rebel against Christianity. A lot of times children rebel against Christianity because parents present it as a whole bunch of laws and regulations and burdens and there's no love and it's just like you have to do this. And, and kids, you know, they're smarter than that. I mean, I think if we really want to win our kids to Christ, we're just going to have to love them. I'm not talking about compromise, but I'm talking about all those personal convictions that you impose on them or all the things that really, it's just law. Be so careful because like the Pharisees, you can end up being, you know, doing worse than you intended to. You know, Jesus told them, you make them twice the son of hell as you. I, I'm blown away because I've done both. I've messed up as a dad, and, and then I, the Lord just kind of caught me, and I have to just restrain myself every day. Man, you just love them. 
just love them. There's power in that. Because that's what God has done with you. Every day you blow it. Every day you fall short. Right? Does God ever stop loving you? No. Why? Because we've been redeemed from the law. That's what the Bible says. And it's interesting what this freedom from slavery you know, it brings, Matthew one twenty one. it says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It brings forgiveness, Ephesians one seven, Colossians one fourteen. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You know, the moral or mosaic law, it only has the power to point out sin, and therein it condemns us, whereas the Lord sets us free from all sin, and herein he saves us, right? And so all, all of this, you guys, in the realm of redemption, this is Christmas celebration. You know, Christ has redeemed us from the law, and what we find is that God wants us to be reminded of this over and over and over again. There's a lot I could say on this, but we don't have a lot of time. But what a, a gift, what a blessing to be redeemed uh, and you know we're brought out of the slave market and we're bought out of that place of no more rules and regulations but you want to know something in closing it gets even better than that because again notice what we read in verse 4 but when the fullness of the time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. You know, ultimately, it's an issue of liberty, yeah, but ultimately, it's an issue of family. God is saying, I want you to be my child. Now, some of you here, you didn't have a dad growing up. You didn't really have a dad. You know, most of us here had a mom, but who knows? Maybe there was some within, you know, the scope of what I'm saying. You, you didn't have parents. And, and you know, that's a tough place to be. You know, I was there a little bit. My mom and dad, they were there, you know, from a distance. But then eventually, you know, I'm over here with my aunt and uncle, my, my grandma, different places. And I remember I wanted that. I wanted a dad. I wanted a dad. And so I remember one day I went to my uncle. I said, hey, can I call you dad? And he said, no. You know, and thank God he did because I had my dad somewhere. I mean, eventually it's so cool what God did with my parents. But there was a, a large part of my life, you know, first 22 years of my life where I didn't have a dad, so to speak, like that. And so to be adopted, to have a dad, to belong to a family. You know, I was reading stories about these amazing adoptions, and it's just, it blows your mind, you know, these stories of kids, and they get into their, you know, emotional, you know, psyche and how difficult it is not belonging. But then eventually, you know, being adopted into a family, it's just a beautiful thing. And, you know, for us, we see, ultimately... This is where we're heading with this whole Christmas thing, right? I mean, ultimately, it's an issue of family, not just liberty. And, you know, now what we find is that this is how we 
enter into God's family. Not only are we born into it, but we're also adopted into it. And what we find in closing, six truths answering four questions, you know, uh, regarding uh, this Galatians passage. When the fullness of time had come, that's the when God sent forth his son, that's the what, how, born of a woman, born under the law, and why to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. You know, First John chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. You know, and that's John saying, wow, can you imagine? How many of you here have kids? Just out of curiosity, raise your hand. How, how much do you love your kids? I think at the end of the day, probably you don't love anyone more than them. I mean, we love our spouses. They're, it's pretty close. I don't know. I better be careful. But... When I don't love, I love my kids. I love them. And I'm just a man. Imagine the love that God has for you. That changes us. That's what Christmas is all about. We're adopted into God's family. And four things as adopted children. Number one, there, there's a legacy. And the word legacy in that context is referring to an amount of money or property left to someone in a will. And we see that in Galatians 4 verse 1. Remember we read it. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. If you look down at verse 7, it says, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So we're adopted. What that means with the legal rights now is that we are joint heirs with Christ. It's amazing. Secondly, uh, after legacy is family. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, it talks about how um, we are adopted. Let's look there real quick. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You know, what we find here is the two things. Number one, family. And then number two, intimacy. Because not only you call him father, but in the, in the Aramaic language there, you call him daddy. Papa. So there's the family, there's the intimacy, there's a legacy. And then the fourth thing is there's the new body and glory for eternity. And we read that in Romans chapter 8 in verse 23. Not that, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And what we find that's in reference to is that whole adoption process is that, you know, one day, like we're talking about earlier, it's all said and done. For eternity, we'll, we'll live in, in glory. In glory. And that's what Christmas is all about.
Praise God for the other things. Praise God for the tamales and, and, and the beautiful decorations and the lights and the gifts and the songs. And praise God for the gifts that you, you know, you, you get and the gifts that you give and all the things that go with this time of year. But let's make sure that we understand that because Christmas really is all about Christ, that we, that we worship him. I know this is another silly illustration, but let me close with this. Daniel, why don't you come on up? You know, do you guys ever, um, when, the, when the baby's born, and you go to your friend's house and you're going to visit them, the baby's born, how many of you here are afraid to hold the baby when it's a newborn? Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> what, I, what I was thinking is that this year, even though um, it's a little challenging, and even though you have to go through a lot of roadblocks and a lot of distractions, and you have to plow your way through, maybe even through some fears, I pray that you would take this, what we're talking about, this baby that was born for us, Jesus, I pray that you hold him close. And you thank the Father that he gave his son because he loves you so much. And I'm telling you this because we can try a million different things and I'm just starting to figure this out. You know, you try. how do I help them, Lord? How can I help them? And you can, you know, do a million things and you try so hard to help them. But it's not until they open their minds to the truth of this word and they open their hearts to to the love of this word and they open their their mouth and their lips and confess Jesus as Lord that they won't be able to celebrate. And so I don't know, I have a feeling that you know a lot of you here, most of you here are Christians, but if you're not, if you've really not surrendered your life to Christ, then I pray that today would be the day.